Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was some fair up there, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hi, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen post on Tumblr, and I'm joined with Eon. Hi, this is Eon, and you can find me at Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. Clotho. Hi, this is Clotho, and you can find me at Clotho Spindle on Tumblr. Uh, YD. Hi, this is YD. You can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. And Chicky. Hi, this is Chicky. I am Chikrin on Tumblr. And Mr. Chicky. Hi, this is Mr. Chicky. <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 can tell and you can hear we have two guests this evening uh clotho and mr chicky i'm sorry i did that in a bizarre order i just look at my little icons on the screen and go around the clock so um anyway we're covering game of thrones season five episode nine um just our general spoiler warning for everybody books and show you will be spoiled um also trigger warning for any potential rape discussion and uh, I don't know how I managed to miss, like, the best episodes of this fucking season and land on the worst. <laughs> right. Good I feel like we also need a trigger warning for show negativity. If you don't like to hear show criticism, <laughs> you may want to check out now. This is not the episode for you. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Anyway, um, I wanted to also just give a special shout out to Kama for modding. I think she modded the last two, right? With like short notice. Yeah. I know you guys yeah. gave her thank yeah. yous on the last episodes, but I just want to say thank you to Kama as well. The notice was as short as it could possibly be for poor Kama to moderate those two episodes. <laughs> she and she did a bane up job. So. She's a trooper. She's yes, she did. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I really, I was bummed out I didn't make it to Hard Home though, because I really did like that episode. <laughs> that was uh, our last happy memory of this show. Like, yeah. yeah. Can you tell I'm like. Can you tell I'm just like, like slowing my role, trying not to get into this episode, (laughs) (laughs) talking about everything but this episode. (laughs) Okay, here we go. So it's uh, Stannis's camp. It's snowed in, and uh, these raiders give a surprise burning. Uh, Davos reports on the damage, and it's pretty bleak. They're running out of food, um, and there's not enough food. He reports to get them back to Castle Black. Stannis tells Davos they won't be marching back. Um, they have a look exchanged between Melisandre and Solis, and uh, Davos looks on to him. Uh, he looks like he's kind of getting on to what Stannis might be alluding to here. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was a surprise burning, all right. Like yeah, <laughs> Ramsey, uh, Ramsey seems to have gone from good time flayer to leading successful stealth raids on the enemy. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he wanted twenty good men, and who knew that in the north they had ninjas, special forces. Huh? Right. <laughs> hey, hey, they know the lands. Those Northmen, they know the yeah, lands. Yeah, they know how to walk. And apparently, all the guards in Stannis's camp were uh, taking bathroom breaks at the same time. Oh God, it was so painful. They showed this <laughs> overhead shot of the camp and you see all the fires lighting and I'm sitting there going this is Westeros they don't have like Bic lighters in their pockets to pull out and just light these things up like you see the guys walking around with torches torches. in order to light shit I mean this is just 
stupid. There's no other term for it. This was just very, very poorly thought out from a storytelling perspective. I mean, see, this is the problem with this show, and that is the way that it contorts itself to allow a plot point to go ahead, no matter how illogical that contortion is. It's just, it's so unbelievable, the writing. It's, it really, it's, it's just beggar's belief. It does, and it's such a strange choice to make, to make Ramsey, of all people, this unstoppable mastermind. I mean, I, I don't even feel like in the show this is anything he's earned. Am I wrong? I mean, oh, let's, no, oh this I is agree. great. We didn't mention this. Here's the reason Mr. Chicky's here this episode, ladies I and gentlemen. I hate Ramsey. No, that's not <laughs> He is, he is unsullied. And even though he lives with me, like, I have not spoiled you for many things. Like, you didn't know no, about the Red Wedding. No, you've never spoiled me on anything. Uh, not much. I mean, he's picked up a few things, just Jamie and, I think you know a lot of Jamie and Brian stuff. Yeah. But other than oh, that, yeah. he really is unspoiled. And what was your reaction to, he's shaking his head, this is not good for radio, but well, seriously, what was your reaction to radio? radio. <laughs> to Ramsey setting the fires? Yeah. I don't know, I had a big giant WTF moment. <laughs> it, was, it was just a Go what the clock, buddy. It was just Maybe. a what the fuck. Why, why is he the most brilliant mastermind in all of everywhere? Yeah, it all doesn't make any sense. Maybe why it wasn't Ramsey, guys. Maybe it was Drogon. You don't know. <laughs> that would make more sense. sense. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Actually, more sense. Huh? <laughs> all right. Yes. Who you know, as we're all saying, has shown absolutely no aptitude for any of this kind of thing, or no, no experience with it, and he's going up against Stannis, who is ostensibly one of the greatest military commanders in Westeros. Uh, it's just it. None of it makes sense. And then, how about the fact that Mel, whose thing is fire? Somehow didn't mm-hmm. sense that this was happening until it was actually happening. She didn't yeah. know it was coming. And it's like, we're actually supposed to believe that she's somehow predicting what's going to happen in the Battle of Winterfell and all these things, and yet she didn't know this little minor thing was going to happen. How? That's, How? That's it continues to be very hard for me, and I would think a lot of people, to believe that he would follow her, that he would believe anything she says at this point, as much yeah. as she's been wrong. <laughs> hmm. no, there's also the, you know, the small fact that she predicted a... What was it? Two out of three king deaths? Like, yeah. Balin's alive, so. <laughs> she's, you know, she's got kind of like a 66% success rate. I mean, <laughs> I guess Stannis like those odds. God. Oh no. Alright. Alright. Does anyone else want to beat up on this scene before we go yeah. on to the next? Why okay. were the horses on fire? Did they bring oil? Oh, the horse! All oh, the poor horse! Oh, the horse. Yeah. It's not like you can't hold fire up to a horse and watch it go up in flames. I mean, that's just not how it works. How did they light this horse on fire? I, I, I don't kind of, know. I have no answers for you. It was kind of reminiscent of that scene with Pod and Brienne where Pod forgets to skin the rabbit and the rabbit just catches on fire. <laughs> <laughs> just have rabbit fur now. <sighs> Combusting horse. Oh. Uh, anyway, the next scene we're still in the north and it's John and he's returning with the remaining wildlings, including one giant. Um, there's a brief tense moment at the gates, um, and they kind of are, I guess, exchanging looks. Alistair at the top and John at the bottom, and finally Alistair says, open the gates. Um, when they get through, hard looks are given to the wildlings um, from the Night's Watch, and Alistair tells John he has a good heart and it will get them all killed. Did you also catch that evil look Ollie gave John? I don't think Ollie likes John. I don't even think they're filming different shots of Ollie. I think it's the exact same shot. They just keep reusing it. I listened to your uh, last two, three podcasts, and you guys talked about Ollie stabbing John, and it just mm-hmm. 
it just that was that was brutal for me. That was no, he didn't know until, but yeah, don't let that happen. I won't ask this next question then. <laughs> no, go ahead. It's oh. well now. Okay. So it's it's totally happening, right? To- John's totally getting stabbed. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But he'll summer. live, right? Just tell me John lives. We don't know oh, for oh, sure. I mean, but obviously, he's yeah, he lives. Yeah. yeah, in some ways. Yeah. The popular John theory. Yeah, the popular theory is he becomes un-John, like he gets well, resurrected. Sam says that John always comes back. He you said know. that in last how, you know, how does he come back? As Lady oh, Stoneheart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Do you think they're going to reveal who that person in the hood was on the little <sighs> boat? It was Benjamin. 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 He rode for a very long time. <laughs> Poor Gendry. Uh, anyone want to go add anything else about the wildlings coming through the gates? Mostly, I absolutely adore one one. Like one one can stay. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna feed him though. <laughs> he wants food. He's a vegetarian in the books, right? Or well, he is at least. So they can see a lot of lettuce. He's a, he's a vegetarian in a frozen tundra. He eats lichen, maybe. Lichen. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, we're gonna go on to, oh god, another Stannis scene. Um, he orders Davos back to Castle Black for food. Davos wants to take Shireen and Stannis won't allow it. Davos bids Shireen goodbye. Um, she's in her tent reading. He gives her a little gift. It's a wooden stag. Uh, he wants her to tell him all about the Dance of Dragons when he gets back. And he gives her a kiss goodbye. And all I could think about is like, what is Davos going to do when he finds out what's happened to Shireen? That conversation will haunt him for the rest of his life. It's just... Like, he can't... There's no way, right? Like, he can't stay loyal to Stannis after that, you think? (sighs) I I don't think for reasons of the plot that he can abandon Stannis. So, yeah, I think he will. I mean, this is is part of the issue. I mean... Yeah, this is where the show's written itself into. And that makes me angry because Davos... I don't... I don't think... It doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense if he would. I, I get I get that he probably is going to stay loyal, but it makes no sense. Mm. <sighs> Everything's screwed up. <laughs> that's pretty much no, that's, that's the most accurate summary of this show yeah. that I've heard today. Okay. Let's go on to the next bit then. Um Oh Dorn. I, I hate this. Every scene I get to him like, oh, this one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, so wow, uh, look at that gold roof over Jamie's head, that's pretty. Uh, anyway, he's escorted by Aria Hota um, to have lunch with Doran Tristane, Marcella, and a very bitter-looking Alaria. She asks, um, you know, what he's doing in Dorne. <laughs> Good fucking question. Jamie tells Doran of the necklace in the viper's mouth, and it it does look like it was stolen, because Marcella pretty much confirms, so blurg, there goes our theory. <laughs> Doran, Sigh. yeah. Doran doesn't want war. He proposes a drink to Tolman, and Alaria ruins a perfectly good carpet and wastes perfectly good wine. <laughs> she storms out. Jamie inquires about Bronn, and Doran gives Tristane the judgment for Bronn's punishment. God. I just really so wanted I... to know why everybody was matching. Everyone matched the upholstery in that room. Oh my gosh, I thought the same thing. But I didn't want to say it. It was weird, right? <laughs> 
I kind of like the Dorn style. I will say that. Much. I do. I do too. Oh, okay. Too. It's the only well, thing I, was, I like about Dorn. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking maybe they're focusing so much on the Alcazar, you know, palace and Seville, and how beautiful it is. So keep our mind off of the lacking dialogue. You know, it's extremely mm. underwhelming. Totally, what is going on? They're depending it's way so too much OG. on set. So it let's just OG. talk about. Let's just talk about <laughs> what's going on in Dawn because it's not much. But I recently saw a video interview um, with Alexander Siddig and he says something along the lines of when he's talking about what happened between him and Jamie and how they came to an agreement, I think he says something along the lines of something happened during Jamie's trip to Dawn. Um, there was something in his words, his diplomacy that made Duran trust him. And I'm just huh? wondering, unless this is Siddiq throwing out some sort of red herring, how could that be possible? <laughs> because what actually happened? Did they have a secret peace talk that we weren't privy to? I don't know. Is there like a gas leak in Dawn? Is everybody going to die? I'm not really sure. <laughs> Too much heat. Uh, it's all the wine. Sun exposure. All the wine. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, let's just, can we just take the time to talk about how mm. atrocious Jamie's characterization has been this Oh, series? it's, hor- it's well, horrible. It's really cheesy. Because, you know part. what? Like, even if you don't compare it to what's going on in A Feast for Crows at this point, what do we actually have at this stage? After an entire season of Jamie and Dawn, we've got... A Jamie who is still in love with Cersei. Uh, a Jamie who has accomplished nothing plot-wise other than, what, taking Marcella and Tristane back to King's Landing. And even that was arranged without any sort of political or diplomatic skill. So at the end of this story, and yes, I realise there's something to come in the next episode, but at the end of this, what do we actually have? We've got Jamie, who is in exactly the same place as he was when he began the season, I mean, I... You're right. No progress. Zero progress. It's like, what a fucking waste of character and what a fucking waste of an actor. Like, I feel really bad for Nikolai. The thing about the Storm thing is, it isn't even just Jamie. What the fuck is Duran doing? I mean... I've been giving them the benefit of the doubt with the whole Dornish story this season. I'm like, they're going somewhere. Clearly, they're going to tie Dorn in in a big way to the the underlying story, in a way that George kind of failed to do. Um, and I assumed we were going to get some sort of overarching, like, like plan that Duran has. And, like, this was the episode to reveal it, I feel, and we get nothing. And and the, the interview that YD brings up with a- Alexander Siddig, Definitely indicates to me that this is there is no secret plan that Duran has. Like he really? did trust yeah. Jamie. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Duran has a plan. I there was there an is. interview that was just released with Jessica Henwick, who plays Nymeria, and she seems to suggest that the Sand Snakes are going to be involved in something. I think she says extreme in the next oh, episode. Oh no! You know what? That worries like, me. Honestly, honestly, at this point. I don't care if there's more to come from the Sand Snakes or Ilaria or Duran. Seriously, like, I've sat through an entire season of this pointlessness. Even if something eventuates from this, if Duran has a plan, the Sand Snakes have a plan, whatever, I still spent an entire season watching this this comical, unnecessary, exploitative idiocy, you know, naked <laughs> Sand Snakes and lovesick, stupid Jamie. I mean... Well, then let's just talk about much- how- it doesn't just fit with exactly the, rest of the story. Well, that's it. It's like this Look entire how... subplot. It's frivolous. It's frivolous. Yeah, it's content. frivolous. Look at the yeah. darkness of the rest of this season. I mean, everyone else has got heavy shit going on in their storylines, and this Dornish thing just doesn't even fit. It's like one of these things is not like the other. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't well, understand what it's, it's like. This doing extreme car- like, like it's like this caricature of the Dornish in the book. You know, it's like bizarre, yeah. like this sexualization, yes. and everything's just—it's just so flimsy. And I don't know, it's just That's cheesy. Never been more <laughs> evident with the Sand Snakes characterization. They have been absolute caricatures themselves all season. And it turns out what there doesn't even seem to be a point to them being introduced. I mean. Tristane's now going to the small council, so he's absorbing both their role and also Ariane's role. And then, <laughs> well, Alara, so why would they let him on the small council? That's so seriously weird. like, why would he <laughs> let his sole heir go to King's Landing? Why would he let his sole heir go to King's Landing? Something. I, I mean, like, I'm desperate for a good reason. Is is he secretly a ninja assassin and no one can kill him? I mean, why on earth would you send your only heir to Cersei? Like, we haven't gotten word in Dorne that they know anything about Cersei's arrest. So this is Dorian literally handing his heir over to Cersei. Yeah. It's it's insanity. It doesn't make any sense. And that's what's driving me up the wall. Even if there was a plan, like, even if there was a plan to to place Tristan in King's Landing, to, I don't know, have him murdered Tommen or whatever, even if there was a plan, it is so inherently risky for Duran to send his only heir mm-hmm. to King's Landing that it just makes absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. Anything oh. could go wrong. Anything could go yeah. wrong if you send him to King's Landing. Were you going to add something, Cloth, though? I said trying to No, I was just kind of adding all... It doesn't... And I, I, I want it to make sense. I just keep watching this, and I want it to make sense, and it's not making sense. So, yeah, yeah I totally agree totally. with <laughs> I'm, I'm just... I'm, it's, it's Sometimes it's hard to even think how the show is going to turn because there's been so many deviations from the books the only thing i can think is if they send tristane there they might even dispatch like the sand snakes to go along with him because like there's an rn chat wasn't there an rn chapter that was released yeah and um it's mentioned that um tyene sand is like in disguise as a septa and she's yes. headed towards King's Landing too. Yeah, I could see them doing that. Ugh, I'd have to suffer through uh, that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Nymeria, I think Nymeria in the in the books is is taking Marcella back. Yeah. But yes, Tyene is is implied to be in disguise and going as well. Um. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's there there definitely is something going on with the Sand Snakes in the books, but it's just it. Yeah. it even there, it it isn't it isn't super intelligent just on the surface but you do get the feeling they could really do some damage but i'm not really convinced these sand snakes could do much of anything i mean (laughs) i mean what what concerns me is that interview that i mentioned jessica henwick she says that they're involved in something extreme in the next episode she goes on to say that she's not sure that her character is coming back next season so to me that doesn't seem to she's namiria the one with the whip okay so to me that doesn't seem to indicate that they actually have some greater role to play beyond this episode, beyond the next episode. Perhaps they're not particularly, you know, set to go to King's Landing. Then that seems to be maybe some last ditch effort to involve them in something in episode ten for shock value, which is oh, something the no. show's been doing a lot lately. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're continuing <laughs> along the book, the book storyline. Uh, all right. Well, let's go down to Brown. Uh, what Braun is up to. Uh, he's still in his cell, and like us, he's suffering the sand snakes. <laughs> <laughs> Arya Hota comes to get Bronn, and Tyene toys with him as he is taken away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's the third one, too. I was like, there was like two of them, this whole scene, and then the third one just popped up out of nowhere to call her sister a slut. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was wondering about that. Does her bar display that kind of attitude towards her sisters in the books? Like, calling them sluts? Because, I mean, you know, 
<laughs> John is meant to be this really have really liberal views on sexuality yeah. and especially female sexuality. I don't, and, I don't know them that well. <laughs> I'm just gonna go with no. It's probably not a good characterization. <laughs> That's probably smart. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Bron is brought into the solar, and um, he's smacked by Ariahota, which is, I guess, a condition of his release. And Doran suggests soup. <laughs> That's the end of that. Just more comedy hijinks. Like this, just this isn't working with what else is going on in the show right now. Like I, I just, it, it just makes me hate it more. I, the it's tone not even is bizarre. Story. Do you think it could have been intentional? Do you think perhaps they thought this is going to be a very dark season? We should put um, Dorn in here and try to lighten it up a bit? Well, if that was the intention, it didn't really... It wasn't really (laughs) incorporated into the story in any sort of cohesive way, so... And it's such a contrast from Oberyn because, you know, whether it was the writing or the acting at the time, he did such a good job with... You know, there was a little bit of, of, you know, brevity there, but it wasn't... (sighs) It just wasn't the same. It felt so different. This just... <laughs> well, the thing it's is, you don't need... You don't need... Sorry, go ahead, You don't need a comedy hijink side story in order to lighten things up, though. You you can add humor into any dark situation, and they do it regularly. As a matter of fact, we'll see Tyrion do it later this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, take Blackwater um, for an example, with Tyrion yeah. making those jokes. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that difficult to do. And what no. they've done is... They've made this into a comedy of errors that is to the detriment of every single character in the Dornish storyline. We've got a completely out of character, Ilaria. We've got caricatures of sand snakes. We've got a Jamie who, I don't even know what Jamie who is. is. Guy, Jamie, right? <laughs> yeah, who is, who is this Jamie? This stupid, um, reckless, uh, guy who sneaks into this, <laughs> into this hostile place without any real plan saying, oh well, we'll work it out as we go along, uh-huh. making stupid decision after stupid decision. It's just, it hasn't portrayed anyone in a particularly good light. And I'm sure that wasn't their intention. You know, it really pissed uh- me off as while well I was watching this is just the thought that we could have had Jamie and Blackfish scene. And instead oh, I'm watching yeah. this yeah. shit. Yeah. Waste. Well, I mean, that is that is the dagger in the heart, isn't it? The fact <sighs> that whilst Jamie, show Jamie is is providing comic relief for everyone, book Jamie is in the Riverlands showing what uh, a capable leader and a capable diplomat he is and, and having all this character growth. So that loss is so immense for me. I'm, I'm just so sad that we didn't get any of that. And it seems like this Jamie, show Jamie, is not moving forward. It seems like he might even be moving a little bit backwards. Mm-hmm. As a person who's not read any of the books and just watching the show, a lot of this, this whole trip, just seems like filler. Mm. Just Mm kind of like to have those two dudes on screen together. And obviously they had two, those two dudes had really good chemistry on the trip. They did. And they had good banter and whatnot, but it didn't really add anything for me as the story goes along at all. I agree. Okay, let's go to Aria in Bravos. Um, she's, I guess, selling oysters and clams. Um, she sees her mark, um, but is distracted by Marin Trant getting out of a boat, and he's with Mace Tyrell. Um, and you can tell it's been a long boat ride for Marin Trant. <laughs> that is hilarious that you would say that because <laughs> it was the world's longest boat ride. Like, think about what has happened in this show, right? In <laughs> 
We've got Tyrion, who's travelled to Pentos, to Marine, <laughs> via, like, you know, Volantis, the Smoking Sea, or Valyria. <laughs> and then we've got Littlefinger travelling from the Eyrie to Winterfell to King's Landing. Um, I think Kevin Lannister has travelled from King's Landing to Casterly Rock and then back again. And Elena travelling from Highgarden to King's Landing. So we've just now got Mason Marin rocking up to Bravos. I mean... I don't in a parallel universe. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I don't, it was kind of nice to see somebody taking their time traveling these long distances. <laughs> it was like episode one or two he left. <laughs> Mace, but again, again, we've got an information vacuum where we don't see Mace arriving to hear news about his son and daughter being arrested, which happened right, right after he left. And you would think, you know, using Ravens, even with even aboard ship, that this this news would have reached Bravos already, and and it hasn't. It's just weird. It's a weird absence of that information to me. Or even Marin Trant learning about Cersei. Like I don't know, maybe he would want to stay away. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. So um, Marin and two Lannister soldiers find a brothel. Um, Arya follows them inside. Uh, she starts selling her oysters inside the brothel, which I thought was a completely ridiculous scenario. It kind of reminded me of, like somebody going in and selling hot dogs and popcorn <laughs> in a whorehouse. Like it was I so mean, weird. Who, who doesn't like the smell of seafood when they're getting it on? Oh, God. <laughs> Everybody oh. apparently loves it in Bravos. <laughs> Everyone is buying those oysters. It's good for your cock stand, according to the <laughs> <laughs> Maybe nobody noticed it. Yeah, uh, and. <laughs> and if you thought you couldn't hate Marin Trant anymore, we discover he likes little girls. Oh. And it's like you, all but you. And maybe you're... that's why, I was going to say, we got spared boobies in that scene. Did anyone notice no boobies? So, I was hey. very surprised there was no nudity in that scene, yes. Hmm. That's I good. I suspect right? it's just because uh, Maisie was age, probably, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maisie should be in all the brothel scenes again if I just said that. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> Can we send Maisie to Dawn? <laughs> yeah, into that cell, please. Get that woman under control. Please. <laughs> so, that would have saved five minutes of my life. <laughs> Arya reports back to Jacken and uh, she still tells him the man wasn't hungry that day. So I guess she lied well enough because he didn't hit her. <laughs> That was just, I have to say, this is an issue I have with this entire episode. And it's funny, I don't remember David Nutter standing out before as, as not doing a great job. And perhaps it's just that the directing game has been stepped up this season with Game of Thrones. But some of these long lingering face shots that he's doing when people are, are staring at one another and stuff like this thing that he did throughout this with Arya and Marin staring at one another. And I'm like, is Marin Trant recognizing her? What's happening yes, here? Does, does that's he, what I, I don't thought. know what was going on. I was yeah. confused. Like, I, I didn't get what they were trying to tell. Clearly, they were trying to convey something, but I wasn't even sure what it was. It looked like Mirren recognized it, but then yeah. nothing eventuated, so presumably he didn't see her. Yeah. But it sure looked that way. It, and maybe he was staring funny. at her because she's a little girl. That's that was the I other was thing I thought, too. He likes little Probably. girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're gonna, there's like a very brief scene with Ilaria as she weeps and kneels at Doran's feet. And uh, he tells her he believes in second and even third chances. I don't know what that means. Okay, no, I think he said, he actually said he believes in second chances. He doesn't believe in third chances. Really? So I thought he said and yeah. even. Oh. Did anyone else wonder if maybe this scene was, was out of order and it was perhaps supposed to happen after the whole... Um, failed kidnapping, like following that immediately. I noticed that the Sand Snakes were all back in their armor for this scene. Oh. And it just seemed weird to me oh. that, 
that Doran would have allowed Alaria to sit on in on this meeting that she had with Jamie, having not already had her swear allegiance. Okay, that yeah, makes I sense now that you point it out. Yeah, I thought I that was that. too, because initially I was like, did they let the sand snakes out of their cells? What are they doing there? And I had the same thought as you during the meeting. Why would he allow Alaria to sit beside him when she isn't on the same page as him? That doesn't really make a huge amount of sense to me. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Hmm. I don't know. On the other hand, she does <clears throat> spill her cup of wine and refuses to toast Tommen. So, I, I don't know. It just, I mean, I shouldn't be asking these questions. Like, these are just, <laughs> it's fine to have suspense and, and, and to have mystery. That's fine in a story. But these are frustrating questions in that I don't feel that it's something that I'm failing to notice. I feel it's just a question that should be answered for me and isn't. Like, I don't understand what's going on here. And it's not because I'm not paying attention. No. Um, and, and I find it continually frustrating, especially in the Dorna storyline. But throughout this episode, there are many epi- instances of this. Well, in that theme of frustration, let's go on to the next scene. <laughs> uh, Jamie is composing a letter. Alaria interrupts. Um, she says, Cersei will be happy that Marcella will be coming home. And then she also says to him, you must love her very much. And she means Cersei, not Marcella. She tells Jamie, no one would have blinked an eye if it was 100 years ago and they were named Targaryen. And uh, she has this line where she says, only thing that stays the same is we want who we want. And am I reading too much into this? But did you know he kind of averted his eyes? Is that is that wishful hoping? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Fuck. I think it is. I mean, I think, like, I was sitting there trying to figure out exactly what the the point of this scene was. And the only thing I could think of is that it's another another way to remind us that Jamie is still in love with Cersei. Um, oh, and also that Dawn loves incest. Yeah, I was like, where did that come from? Where yeah. is there, like, well, well, you know, they're sexually, sexually, yeah, they're so, they can't, they're, they're sexually liberated, Chloe, Chloe, so that means I love incest, apparently. Right, right. So but creepy. She compared incest to, what was it? What's well, her? she compared Jamie and Cersei to herself and, and Oberyn's relationship. Right. And, like, what, yeah. that was, Hello. There's nothing scandalous about that, but that she was an illegitimate child. That, I mean, and that's, even in, even in the rest of Westeros, that's not a huge scandal. I mean, the show has turned this whole bastard thing into a way bigger deal than it is in the books. Yeah. Let's just start there. And the idea that they can't tell the difference between sexually liberated attitudes and particularly good attitudes toward the sexual liberation of women and condoning things like incest is just something that makes me want to bang my head against my desk right now. I, I mean, like, how can you, how can you equate those things? I don't understand where you, where you make that leap, I guess. I mean, isn't that just indicative of the greater problem with the show and its portrayal of females and the role that females have in society? I guess. I don't know. I have a theory. I think something happened between Doran and Ilaria off screen. Like they had some kind of a plan formed and she's trying to win over Jamie here by saying, Hey, you're not such a pervert. I'm a pervert too. We should be buddies. Cause she was kind of, she kind of did like a 180 here. Like, well, he seems suitably suspicious. I mean, he's not giving away anything. I mean, I don't know if that was the writing or acting or what, but he was like, you know, you could tell he's like, well, I'm not going to engage in this conversation with you, you know? Yeah, like, weren't you the crazy bitch that just poured wine all over the carpet and now we're friends? Like, what's going on here? I mean, that is the only real thing that could explain Alaria's complete 180 because she's gone from, you know, vengeful lover, revenge, revenge, revenge to quickly hey um you know you're not all bad um i kind of love incest let's be friends 
And has anybody got a screenshot of the letter he's writing and his scribble? Has anybody like done that and zoomed in to see what he's a uh... dear no. dear wench? You know what? <laughs> no, you know what? It's funny that you say that because I actually mentioned that to my sister earlier today. I said this is just a sign of how not into it fandom is that no one has zoomed in on that and, and figured out what he's writing. I thought of normally that would have happened, but I'm too busy. <laughs> I mean, like, Lot, I would love to give them the benefit of the doubt and think that there's some grand master plan in place here, but I think this is just a throwaway scene like Jamie's scene with Marcella was, what was it, last episode? I don't even fucking remember. You know, just, just a random whatever encounter in which Jamie doesn't move anywhere or go anywhere that he wasn't at the beginning of the scene. I mean, like, his stagnancy this season continues to astound, and I know it's we've already talked about it, but it just this is just another example of it. I mean, he's still completely in love with Cersei. There's been no movement there. And this entire trip to Dorne has been about getting back into Cersei's good graces and making her happy, as opposed to the journey that he makes when he's in a feast for crows, and that is a journey on which he is primarily concerned about doing the right thing. He also takes a minute for some like private investigation and stuff, but he he is so interested in doing the right thing for Tommen, his king, and for his family in the books. And here it's just Cersei. He just mm. wants to make Cersei happy yeah. and get back at the And not just doing the right thing, but he's actually distancing himself from Cersei. He's realized what a toxic relationship that was. And obviously, I say here that none of that is indicated at all. He's still in love with her. He's presumably going to go back to King's Landing. Who knows what's going to happen there? But to me, even if he goes back to King's Landing, finds out about her infidelity, for me, it's just too little, too late. It's they've I'll been take dragging it. I don't even care. <laughs> they've been dragging us on for you know since the end of season four, <clears throat> and we were concerned at the end of season four that even if they'd broke up Jamie and uh, Cersei at the beginning of season five, it would be too late. And now I'm just wondering, is it ever going to happen? When is it going to happen? Yeah, Essex maybe, halfway through. I can't see it happen any earlier than that. Aww. I mean, yeah. never forget. Otherwise it becomes disingenuous. Like it's, it doesn't have the same impact if he suddenly decides, oh, I mean, that worries me too. It's like, I want to see build up to right. how he makes this change and we're not saying right. it. Right. Well, I mean, and the thing in the books is obviously Cersei's infidelity plays a big role for Jamie, but her infidelity is more indicative of a larger problem in his relationship with Cersei. And that is that she has deceived him greatly <laughs> and for a long period of time. And he didn't know it and didn't believe her even capable of it. And and that is the underlying cancer that eats away at their relationship. Mm-hmm. We have none of that on the show. Like, there's nothing on the show indicating that Jamie is disapproving of, of the decision she's making as a ruler, really. Um, none of the things you have in the books where Jamie's like, no, no, you, you can't do what you're doing. This is a terrible idea. Or, you know, at the end of Feast and Into Dance where Jamie's realizing he's going to have to go back and take over. He can't let her keep fucking things up anymore. Um, because it isn't yeah, well, safe for it, isn't it? Because in the books, it's not even her infidelity that is the precipitating factor to have Jamie reevaluating himself and what's going on in their relationship. He actually has issues with Cersei prior to even finding out about the infidelity. Remember when he gets back to, to King's Landing and his demeanour towards her is, is already a little bit changed. He's sort of a bit more snarky in his thoughts towards her. So it's not even the infidelity that is... That may have been the main precipitating factor and that may be something that he ruminates over and over again. But as Chicky says, it's actually something that is indicative of a larger problem and something that I think he'd already started to think about in his mind. Hmm. Never forget we had Tarthgasm this season. That's sad. Oh, That's the one thing we had. You, know, you just, you can't, some of this just can't be fixed. 
and I just don't see how they fix this. I mean, for me, I don't think it can be fixed. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, even if they go ahead and in some way start portraying Jamie as more aligned with his book self, it just wouldn't work because all we've seen up until now is a completely different Jamie. So it would be much like the way they're presenting for example, Alaria in this show, it's a to- it would be a totally different character. It would just feel completely disjointed and unearned. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll yeah. probably still take it, though. <laughs> you can have it. Live. I'll take it. You can have it. I'll take it. All right, let's move on to probably the... I would say this scene ranks up there with, like, the hardest thing I've had to watch on this fucking show. Okay, but you just told me you ate pizza while watching this scene, Lot. Well, that was, like, second time, okay? Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I was hungry. It was my lunch hour. So, Stamus visits Shireen. She tells him she wants to help, and uh, they hug. And then he whispers, forgive me. Um, Shireen is taken outside to a pyre of wood and a stake. She catches on pretty quickly what's going on. Melisandre tells her it will be over soon. Stannis and Selyse watch as Shireen is tied up. And it's a sacrifice, so his army won't freeze to death or starve to death. Selyse has a moment of weakness as Shireen screams, and then her screams stop. So... Why the burning? Like, didn't she just need Gendry's blood, like, with leeches? Like, why, why, why burn Shireen? What is this? This was the actual worst thing I've ever watched on television. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That, they spent, this season, they turned Stannis into someone that I could cheer for. And then three episodes later, they turned him into someone that I want dead. Like tomorrow. Okay. It's okay, yes. Brianna. That is exactly I, I totally one of the biggest yeah. problems that I had with this scene. And that is that it was incredibly emotionally manipulative. And it was emotionally manipulative simply for the sake of being emotionally manipulative. So it wasn't necessary to drive the plot forward. It wasn't some brilliant bit of character study. It was gratuitous. It was yeah. violent simply for the sake of it. And this is not good writing. This is not good storytelling. It's cheap and it's lazy. And you know, what's interesting is I saw this, uh, I've seen people arguing, you know, oh, but Stannis killed Renly and that was his brother and Renly was a pretty good guy. Um, but you know, <laughs> the show didn't devote a chunk of time before Renly's death showing how much Stannis loved Renly and would do anything to protect him. And this is where the emotional manipulation lies. The way they engineered this moment, because, you know, looking at the context surrounding what happened to Shireen, um, because of the way they specifically developed Shireen's character to show her as this sweet, kind, you know, perfect child. They even threw in a touching scene with Daddy Stannis who who told her that he's always going to protect her. They even threw in a hug there at the end of the scene. It's because of all of this that it's very difficult to see Stannis burning his daughter as anything other than yet another stunt by the showrunners to shock people. And that is an ongoing theme with the show, not just this season, but it seems to be particularly prevalent this season. So how do you reconcile the... I think there was like a HBO inside the episode where they said this was a GRM moment. Yeah, and I'm not buying what they're selling. You know, it's like they can say all they want that they're trying to convey X, Y, and Z, but they don't connect the dots in the, yeah. you know, it's in this, their own storyline context. You know, you know, on the one hand, he's all about justice and what is right and proper. 
And like, and then we're expected to believe, you know, given all those scenes that YD just mentioned, that he would do this. It doesn't make any sense. You know, again, the thing is, which shows Stannis is that you could, you could really make an argument for him doing almost anything because of how inconsistently they've written his character. Like Clotho was saying, you know, he's, 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 they've taken some parts of book Stannis, but they've also, Incorporated some, some other aspects that don't adhere to that characterization. So they're showing, they're trying to show him as a just man who strictly enforces the law, but then they've got him burning non-believers, which is something that he doesn't. And then, and then did before. you notice that he was very cowardly? And that didn't seem like Stannis. He didn't even look yeah. at her. Like, like yeah. Stannis would have, if this was true Stannis, he would have been there looking her in the eye. He, Stannis he would have marched her up there and tied her on the thing himself. I mean, exactly. This is the problem, right? And, and this is, this is something Phantom has latched onto. Oh, they said George says it's all we have is an offhanded mention from who was it? Benioff, who said, when George told us about this, we were mm-hmm. there. And then he goes on to describe how they were concerned about how they would do it or something. Which is so ambiguous. That doesn't It's so ambiguous. Me. I mean, I, I, okay. I will admit there is foreshadowing in the books that Shireen may die. I feel like it's so obvious. I just have assumed mm-hmm. George wouldn't do it. And I will go on record right now as saying, I'm not going to believe that Shireen is is burnt in the books until I read it, because I don't think George could actually pull the trigger on this. I will say it right now. (laughs) I don't know that he actually has the balls to do it. I think he's been writing her for too long, and I would be shocked if he can give her this horrific a death. But the other thing is this can't happen in the books. There's no scenario Mm -hmm. in which this this thing that you're seeing happen happens. I'm not saying that there's no scenario in the world in which Stannis kills his daughter in this way, sacrifices her for the greater good. Of course there is. Stannis is a, a character like Jamie, who, you know, there is a circumstance in which Jamie puts a baby in a trebuchet. I believe that. Um, you know, they are, they're people who can make the terrible call when the terrible call has to be made. But it's not this circumstance. It's not, oh, we're snowed in on our way to Winterfell. Oh, we've got to do this. I mean, I felt nothing, and I tried to give it a chance on the rewatch. I felt nothing that was a compelling enough reason for me to believe that this was something that had to happen. I should have believed that this was the only way this could work mm-hmm. was for was for Stannis to to kill Shireen, and that wasn't what I yeah. felt at all. It wasn't what I, I felt exactly at all. Right. That is exactly right. There was no build up. There was no feeling of imminent, you know, death or danger. It was, as I said. It was literally written for the sake of shock value. And they've been building up to this all damn season. And that's why it was so manipulative because they've been, you know, I mean, they threw in that gorgeous scene of Stannis and Shireen, you know, him being the doting dad. And that was really for the sole purpose of getting us to fall in love with that dynamic. I mean, it was just, go ahead, Ian. Oh, well, even in season two, during Black, whenever, during the Blackwater, he's talking about how he withstood the siege at Storm's End and, like, he made everybody eat, like, rats and they ate the dogs and everything. And that kind of Stannis would not do this, mm-hmm. even that mm-hmm. TV Stannis. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it just, this yeah. Stannis, the first sense. sign of, like, an attack on his on his camp, he's sacrificing his soul heir. Yeah, as I was going to well, say, they I... really could have just called this episode, I don't really care about my heir anyway, because we've seen two <laughs> now just being tossed away. Um, I've got to say yeah. something. I've got to, I just want to read a brief quote from George, who, it was from an article that came out a couple of months ago, and it was about a potential twist that he's considering writing in the books. And he said that He loves the idea of the twist, and now I'm just going to quote verbatim. I'm still weighing whether to go that direction or not. It's a great twist, 
It's easy to do things that are shocking or unexpected, but they have to grow out of characters. They have to grow out of situations. Otherwise, it's just being shocking for being shocking. And I just feel like that quote completely sums up what we're seeing so, here. Yeah. yeah. It really does, doesn't it? And, and you know what you were saying earlier, YD, what everybody's been saying? The, the emotional manipulation that we feel, I mean, this is, you know, this is a, a hallmark of, of fiction. Of course, you're going to be, um, moved by what you see and it is always the intention of the creator to move you. The thing is, this is cheap storytelling to that's play on your emotions like this. I mean, well, that's it. This is like, I mean, it reminds me of like a Nicholas Sparks type low blow, um, <laughs> attempt to wring emotion out of people, you know, and, and I just, as much as I've had criticism of the show, this really hasn't been my criticism before. And this is just something I thought they were better than. I'll just be really frank. I thought they were better than, than this old switcheroo bait and switch thing that I feel emotionally here. Yeah. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, you can do things like this that shock and surprise, but that feel, um, inevitable, that have gravity because they just are a, a, a force that can't be controlled. That just isn't what you feel here. You just, I, I mean, I well, didn't, you know, I didn't I mean, it. It's also, it's also what we saw in part with Sansa because rather than, you know, if they really wanted to do this story and obviously there are huge issues with this story, there are so, there are multiple issues, but one of the issues is if they really wanted to do this story and I don't see why they needed to, rather than introduce Jane or, you know, have her continue out through it throughout the series and then bring her back, they gave the story to someone who we are already very much emotionally attached to, someone who we've essentially seen grown up on screen, grow up on screen. And that surely had to play a part in why they chose to give this story to Sansa because they thought the maximum emotional impact, we will basically rape one of the, one of the young, young characters who we've seen on screen from a very, very young age. You can't tell me that wasn't part of the reason that they did that for shock value. No, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with you. All no. I could think about is, you know, if John would have just fucked Melisandre, none of this would have happened. Oh. <laughs> well, the thing about this whole thing that just happened, I feel like it robbed me in some ways because I was looking forward and hoping that someone from that camp would just destroy Ramsay and like tear him to bits. <laughs> and now even if Stannis goes and destroys Ramsay and tears him to bits, I'm like, so who kills Stannis now? Brienne! Rather than being joyful and going, yes, <laughs> Baby someone Bree. destroyed him. Brienne's going to finish the job. Yeah. Can we, uh, can we just, I just want to talk briefly about Solis in this scene as well, because let me refer to the inside the episode where I, I don't know whether it was, I think it was Benny who says this. He says, oh, actually, no, it may have been Debbie Weiss. Anyway, one of them says, in reference to Celeste, when she hears her daughter screaming for her, it overrides her religious convictions and she finally becomes a mother, which... Oh, my gosh. Such sexism in every <sighs> sense of the word. I mean, what, what they're saying here is essentially, no matter how Celeste thinks, no matter how strong her beliefs, uh, no matter how, how much she's ignored Shireen and treated her with all this contempt and disgust, she is foremost a mother a nurturer, and when push comes to shove, that overrides all aspects of her known personality. And we literally just saw the same thing happen in Hard Home with Cassie, which I briefly touched on in last week's episode. You know, we've got this fierce, strong warrior woman 
But, you know, she's got kids. So when she's confronted with white children, she becomes paralyzed and all she can do is, is fall back and let them take I don't her. know. Yeah, I remember I, I listened to that last week. I, I kind of have to defend. I think I would have paws too. I, I, I don't know I, if that makes me a stereotype of a mother. But what it you, says you is that, that, that motherhood oh, causes some sort of brain damage because you have Celise no. who has been, no, but here's the thing. Celise's characterization has very much been that she is a committed, not just committed, a, a, absolutely a zealot for R'hllor. And she is willing to do anything that Melisandre asks. And she is resolved to burn Shireen at the beginning of the scene. It's a choice that she's making, a logical choice. And yet, the minute that the the baby starts to cry, oh no, she breaks. Her will breaks. I she's can a mother. see it happening. Kick I'm in sorry. And so she can't do it. I'm on the other side of the fence on this one. I, I could see that totally breaking me as well. Not you wouldn't but have tried to burn Obviously, I wouldn't have done that. But... I I do think there's something internal as a mother, no matter how deplorable a mother you are, I think I, I could buy it. I could. I don't think it's that far fetched. I think it's I think it's very much playing into stereotypes of motherhood and maternal instinct. I mean, I think if you're someone like Celise and you're determined to burn your kid and she's been thinking about this since Dragonstone, I mean if we're to believe the scene that she had with Mel, like they looked into the fire and, 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 and Melisandre's like, well, this is, this is difficult, but it's going to have to happen. I mean, this is something Salisa's known was coming way longer than Stannis. And she was completely resolved upon and in fact was advocating. And then suddenly, no, she changes her mind at the last minute. I feel like it is just, I feel like it's, it's very, it, it reads entirely misogynistic to me. And I mm. agree with you, YD. I couldn't actually stomach sitting completely through the behind the episode, but I heard what was said. I saw the transcript and I, mm. uh, God. But even looking yeah. at this, uh, coldly and logically, what, what is the point behind killing your heir? And I understand he could marry somebody else, but from Celise's point of view, like, what was their plan? Once they get rid of Shireen, what are they thinking? What, how is their, you know, this dynasty going to be established? You know, well, it. it doesn't. <laughs> no, you're right, Clotho. You're right. Because no, you're right. this is very much framed as being part of Stannis's quest to be, you know, the one true king of Westeros, rather than what we see in the books when he's willing to burn a child, his nephew. And yeah. that is his commitment to fighting um, the other, the great other that they talk about, who is the opposite of R'hllor. Um, he very much views mm-hmm. it as a saving humanity thing, as opposed to him gaining the throne. And here it's entirely about the throne. So if you're entirely about the throne, you're exactly right. Why on earth would he kill his only heir? It and they're no getting sense. up there. They're aged, you know, in this book, in the series, they're aged. So, I mean, you know, I guess he could be a Walder Frey and get some separate wives, but it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't seem like the smartest move. <laughs> All right. I think we've talked this one to death. Let's go to Daz next pit. Um, we kind of see a destroyed harpy face, which was kind of a nice touch. Um, it's game day and everybody's excited except Daenerys and Tyrion. Um, we have two men, um, beginning the fighting and Dario, Danny and his dar go back and forth a bit on who will win. Danny is, uh, a bit taunting towards his dar. And I've noticed there's just this perpetual goading of poor his dar. I kind of felt bad for him. Um, <laughs> His star ultimately proves to be correct, and the big man becomes out the victor. Uh, Tyrion, Danny, and Hisdar argue the rightness of the fighting pits when we hear the familiar voice of Sir Jorah Mormont, and it's a melee five men in combat. 
it's eventually, eventually there's two left, Jorah, and I guess, I think he's a Bravosi swords guy. Um, he ultimately gets the better of Jorah. Tyrion tells Danny she can end it, and his Dar says, nope, she can't. Suddenly the Bravosi is struck from behind, Jorah takes on the armored dude and wins. And then Jorah throws a spear in Danny's direction, killing the masked son of the harpy, who is about to attack. And then it is on after this. Uh, masked men come out from everywhere. They're just stabbing and fighting their way towards Danny. His star is stabbed. Jorah makes his way up to Danny, takes her down into the pit. Tyrion saves Miss Sandy. They all meet in the middle of the pit where they are surrounded by their enemies. Uh, Danny's guards defends her, but it's clear that they're outnumbered. Miss Sandy, Miss Sandy and Danny hold hands, anticipating the end. Then Drogon swoops in, burning, chomping, and doing other dragon things. And Drogon is getting speared pretty badly when Danny tries to help him out and protect him. She just climbs on top of him and then pieces out. <laughs> See you later, suckers. <laughs> and Tyrion and company are still in very much danger as she flies off. <laughs> Everybody stops fighting to just watch her fly away. I actually do. (laughs) They're all like, oh, this is awesome. We should stop fighting right now. Oh, God. If only their looks of of this is awesome could have sold it. Yeah. Yeah. Look, for me, (laughs) this scene with Danny riding off and Drogon totally missed the mark. Um, compared to what's actually going on in the books. Um, and look, I'm the first to admit, I'm not the hugest fan of Danny's storyline in the books, but there were some moments yeah. that resonated with me, and this was actually one of them. Um, what they're doing here in the show, and it's something we've discussed multiple times now, and that is the show seems to like to take plot points from the books without providing the proper context to make them work to make them actually emotionally resonate with with their viewers. Like, what's going on in the books at this time is Danny's basically spent this whole time, uh, she's kind of losing touch with herself, with her, with her targ roots. You know, she's making all these concessions in the name of peace. She's suppressing that part of her that's all fire and blood, fire and blood, and she's really becoming more and more lost. And there's that line of hers in the book, which is, if I look back, I'm lost. It's something she repeats over and over again. So... Book Danny is losing herself. She's chained up her dragons, which are, you know, the symbols of her targ nature. <laughs> um, she's basically completely forsaken them. She hasn't made pit stops to visit them and have them burn dudes. Um, <laughs> and she's been pretty much forced to marry his star. Um, it wasn't really her decision as it was in the, in the show and to reopen the fighting pits. And she's also basically accepted slavery in Yunkai. Um, and all of this stuff that's going on, all of the conceding and the peacemaking that she's doing, it culminates with this scene in Dusnak's pit where Danny's watching the fighting and she's actually thinking about how she's failed by, well, basically failed everyone by allowing the reestablishment of slavery and she's just decides that enough is enough. And she actually tears off her toka, which is the Miranese clothing that she wears, and her veil um, and she gets up to leave the fighting pit. She's basically made that decision no more. You know, it's the last straw for her. She's going to, like, embrace her anger and her fire. She's going to reclaim herself. And then when Drogon comes, she doesn't just hop on him and fly away. She she kind of has to battle with him first until they come to this sort of synchronicity. And 
it's symbolic of Danny's decision to reclaim herself, you know, and it really emotionally resonates with the reader. Um, no matter what concessions Danny's made, she's still the blood of the dragons. So that's what's happening in the books. That's what's actually going on in this season. But here in the show, it, Danny didn't really earn this moment with Drogon. She didn't earn the right to fly off on him. And it, the scene felt really flat to me because it didn't seem like it was about Danny throwing off her queenly shackles. And, it just and seemed like she herself. was abandoning her crew. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, not really sure. out of I'm not really sure what this scene was about. I really, it really did it just, just seem yeah. like it was, uh, hey, cool, she's flying off on a dragon. Yeah. Yeah, it, it looked about. like a throwback from the the never ending story where she hops on her luck <laughs> on her so on true. her luck dragon and flies off. Oh God! Well, it, it was the other thing about this is they made it so much about Jorah, and I understand they were probably trying to pull some sort of parallel about sacrifice, where Danny is having to sacrifice Jorah the same way that Stannis was having to sacrifice Shireen. I think that may have been what they were going for, but it just became so much about Jorah. And again, I've got to harp on the direction because the direction, well, let's just say the direction in this entire sequence was bad. I'm just going to say bad. And I don't often just use a term flat out like that with the show, but it just was not good. The the action, everything about it was bad, but also the emotional beats. Yeah. Yeah, They were trying so hard to hit this emotional thing between Danny and Jorah and doing these long pauses (laughs) on their faces during Jorah's fight to the point where Jorah's fight was a joke. Mm. Um, and, and making Danny have this huge issue with Jorah and then, you know, suddenly there's a fight and then Drogon shows up and she, she flies off. And it's like you just said, YD, it completely strips away. And again, I'm also not a, a, a huge Danny fan. I, I mean, like, what? I actually have really? enjoyed most Sorry. of it. I've been, <laughs> but I've enjoyed, you know, not enjoyed, but I've appreciated the way that the show has adapted Danny. It, it has made her more palatable to me, um, probably by what? changing her enough to do that. But, this, to me, just didn't have any of the zing that this moment has in the books. This is one of the big moments in dance. I mean, this is a huge moment. Even for a non-Danny fan, there's no question that Danny embracing her literal dragon in, in, in Daznek's pit is a huge character moment for her. And you just don't feel that. It's just a rescue, really. In the end, yeah. it's just a damsel being rescued by her dragon, to me. That, that is exactly that what it's about. And I also had the same thought in relation to them making it so much about Jorah, and that's part of the problem. They, Rather than focusing on Danny and what's going on with Danny, it's, I mean, obviously in the books, Jorah's not there. He's not out there fighting. So, I, you know, I realised I had to figure out some way to incorporate him into this story, but they just spent so much time on making it about Jorah's, I guess, plea for Danny to understand him, to to take him back. There was actually an interview with Ian Glenn where he says, you know, oh, well, this is like Jorah's last-ditch effort to to show Danny, you know, I guess that he cares. And uh, it's just that's not what this scene should be about. I mean, by all means, incorporate Jorah into the storyline, but don't make sure. – don't shift the focus to him. Oh, yeah. Oh, they and, do and, that time and again, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and they kind they of – It's a bit of a <laughs> Yeah, they did. Yeah. And, and, you know, it just, there was just so much Jorah. The, so much of the emotion here was Jorah. And I just felt like that was off and it was wrong. And it just is not how it's meant to be. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. So beyond this, I mean, obviously this is all an issue. Let's talk about the mechanics of this scene. Cause did this work for anyone? I mean, okay. everything about the way that the it's beginning clunky. of it, clunky is a great term Absolutely. for it. Um, the beginning of the action when Jorah, Jorah, throws the spear into the guy who's trying to st- stab Danny from behind. First of all, it's so hard to imagine that none of her guards <laughs> noticed this dude. Yeah. Isn't it? 
<laughs> well, they were all focused on the awesome fighting that was happening. Yeah, well, was dazzling them. Unsullied, yeah, the Unsullied throughout the whole season have not been anything worth talking about. They're, they're yeah, not the very Unsullied have been horrible. I feel like the, the Unsullied, unsullied have become, like, the easiest guys to kill, apparently. Yeah! yeah. And <laughs> also, when Jura uh, was on the ground and that guy came behind him and stabbed stabbed the guy that was about to kill him, you know, he stabs one guy in the back and then lets the other guy get up to fight him. Yeah, and then fairly. gives Jorah a chance yeah. to get up. Yeah. yeah. Um, that makes perfect it's sense. It's honorable. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's all ridiculous. The editing, the pacing, they were both awful. Yeah. And you know what's funny is it had a similar kind of disjointed feel as the editing for the hard home battle, but it lacked the intensity of what was happening in hard home. Like, rather than portray a scene of confusion in a cohesive way. It just felt totally fragmented and clumsy. And, I mean, we've got Danny, Danny and her team just kind of standing there in the pits while random harpies attack them lazily Ooh, one by one. Like, yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, that now was you weird. hit us, then we hit you back. It's like, yeah. it's like they were taking the time to, like, roll dice and decide right. to turn it to go next. I mean, like, kind of like that uh, Xena Hercules yes, choreography. Yeah. <laughs> It felt to me like an old Bruce Lee film where Did Bruce it? Lee would fight like 60 people <laughs> one by one. One by one. <laughs> Did anybody else freak out whenever you see um, Jura take Danny's hand and he's got bloody knuckles oh, and everything? And I'm like, yes. he's infected with grace. Daddy, Daddy, Miss Sandy's hand and I think she took the power. She spread that oh. all around. <laughs> Jorah's revenge. Like Eon said, like the never ending story. Yeah. It was just Oh god, the the the, oh, the final scenes of, of her flying away on Drogon were just painful. And you know, you mentioned Hard Home, and I mean, you know, it's almost unfair to even compare them. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. Um but you know, like after Hard Home, where I never stopped to think about what was making things work, I had to watch it a third time to even begin to dig into the mechanics of anything because I was so invested in the action, and I had exactly the opposite here. I mean, all I could do was cringe at the terrible CGI, and you know, and this and this whole sequence. I mean, I'm not going to get into it. Let's just say, if if Amelia Clark wanted to do a tribute to every complaint I've ever made about her acting, she hit every single point <laughs> in the sequence. Ouch. <laughs> well, she did. She did. And, and you know, and I've said this before. When you have fantastical elements in, in a story, um, you need talent who can sell them. It's really important that you have p- actors who make these crazy things seem real. And it, we had exactly the opposite of that with Danny riding off on Drogon. Yeah, no um, no amount of Tyrion staring up at them in awe really could have sold that no. to me. And it's, it's funny to contrast it back to that scene back in season one. It's also season one, it seems like so long ago, when Danny's dragons hatched. And, you know, obviously it's another scene with those huge fantastical elements. But somehow, I think Ian Glenn <laughs> was the one Ian who Glenn. really sold Ian Glenn's face. Yeah. Right. You know what? Like, as I said, even Peter Dinklage couldn't sell that for me. He may be staring up at her in awe. The rest of us were kind yeah. of cringing behind their hands at how terrible it looks. Yeah, That's I mean, you want to mention... Sorry, go ahead, Clotho. No, no, I interrupted you. Go on. <laughs> I was just going to say, if you want to mention, you know, like with Carsey in, in Hard Home selling the emotion of what was happening with, mm-hmm. 
you know, very little time on screen to do so. I, that's, that's what it takes to sell something as fantastic, as fantastical as being attacked by a zombie army. And that's just what we didn't have in this scene with the dragon and with Danny. Yeah. Um, to me anyway. I'm sure there are people who disagree, but uh, anyone anyone who tries to defend the CGI in this scene, I just have to kind of scratch my head and <laughs> and wonder like were they watching it on like a 1950s black and white TV? I, I don't I I can't understand how this doesn't stand out as glaringly awful to everyone. Frankly, frankly I, I, think I like this. I actually like the Colosseum stuff, like the people and stuff. But yeah, the, the dragon I was that like, was pretty good. The Colosseum yeah. was yeah. pretty good. It was but yeah. the flying away on the dragon yeah. was ABC Family quality. <laughs> it was like um, oh God. I don't know if it was that good, Mister Cheeky. Oh yeah, I'm giving it far too much credit. Once upon a time, that's what I'm thinking of. It's like, oh I thought God. I was watching Melissa Joan Hart in that. That cat, Salem, is the teenage witch. Salem, the cat. So the issue is, what the hell is going on? Is it? You know, if they could have an episode like Hard Home, is it just this magical thing where they had the right writers, the right actors, the right directors, and it's just not happening in these other scenes? Is it is it getting too spread thin? Is it unraveling? Is it because it's now in D and D's hands? Like, I'm just trying to figure yeah. out what the hell is going on. Like, why is it? Why does this happen? Why do you have really great scenes followed by trash? Yeah, it's just very, very It's just so uneven. I think they know how to handle particular storylines and they have a better grasp on some characters than others. And I think that is probably one of the main reasons why everything is very hit and miss. Yeah, you can feel, you can feel when the production team is really yeah. invested in a story. You yeah. can tell when they really want it to be great. And I think that is a lot of what the hard home story is. That and, I continue to say I'm I can't say enough good things about Miguel Sapochnik who who directed the two episodes before this. I think he was a phenomenal director. Yeah, you got to wonder what he would do with this scene with Danny and Drogon actually with I the do. fighting. Yeah. I do yeah, and I have frustrating. It makes you so sad because you know the potential. Like that's what's <laughs> I saw posts on Tumblr too where they um, zoomed up and you could actually see the crew in the stands. Did anyone yeah, see that one? Sorry, I cut you off, Mr. Chicky. Go ahead. I think Chicky hit a point there though about them having like favorites almost in how they yeah. film things. Oh, yes. Because anytime I watch anything with Jon Snow, it's gold. It's like literal lately. gold. Yeah. But only lately. Right. Only this lately. Season, sorry. Yeah. In this season, I should say. I feel like I'm being forced Danny down my throat, well, I mean, too. They give her so much. They do. They give her so much, and she does so little with it, and it's really getting yeah, frustrating. I, think, I mean, but that's the thing with Danny. I think it's... <laughs> they clearly really... They really like Danny, so that's not the issue. I think, yeah. yes, unfortunately, some of that is Amelia's fault. But yeah. I think they might probably are having some disconnection with Danny at this point in the story, the same way that, you know, so many of us are. But, you know, this is, I think, the story with Jamie. This is why I think season three seemed so good, is that I think they really loved the idea of Jamie's story in season three, and then it was over, and they were just like, well, he doesn't have anything good left to do, so <laughs> meh, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever isn't, that just, isn't that just a complaint you see over and over again? And that is, oh, I found the Feast storyline so boring, nothing really happened. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I'm not getting that- it. There was a lot of action involved in season three for Jamie. You know, oh, he gets his hand chopped off. He gets to fight a bear. I think it was probably less about his character development, honestly, and more about those sorts of shocking moments, exciting moments for them. Because, 
you know, obviously they didn't think it was worthwhile to adapt Jamie's journey through the Riverlands for the TV screen. They'd rather send him off to Dawn where, well, we've already discussed that at length. Yeah. Well, I think this is just indicative of, of a greater problem. And look, I am I am the first to say that George has a massive sprawl issue in the feast and dance extravaganza. I mean, he opened way too many story doors and went way too many places. And yep. yes, he did need a really good editor. And I do appreciate the issue that they must have felt as they went to adapt these books. And in fact, I saw reviewers and and industry people who would interview them and who would ask them, are you going to fix these last two books when you adapt them? I mean, two or three (laughs) years ago, they were being asked that. Um, So, you know, I I understand that they felt a need to do something else with some of this material. I get that. But I think what they missed and that George understands is that you have to have quiet moments in a story this dark and where the stakes are so high in order to keep people invested in the characters. And that is where they seem to be failing, I feel. They're so concerned about hitting these big action shock moments as often as they possibly can that you just don't have the quiet moments with the characters you need. I know they get criticism and they get complaints when they have the quiet moments, but the truth is when you're telling good story, people will come back for that. And they have, yes. because there have been quiet moments in this series before this. Game of Thrones has had its quiet, quiet moments. Yeah, it has. And- it has. And I totally agree with you. And I've said this before, like, yes, the feast and the dance stories are unwieldy. And I really appreciate some of the streamlining they've done. I think the way that they've narrowed Tyrion's story and sped it up was really great. Yeah. But yeah, you can't ignore the character moments, the character development. I, I understand that, you know, you've got this show, you want to keep the viewers entertained, and the easy way to do that is to keep bringing these big shocking moments. That's the easy way. That's the lazy way. And, of course, I do want these big moments, but I want them incorporated into the storyline with their proper context, with the emotion behind it that you find in the books. I don't want them to just give us one big shocking moment after the other that really has no proper grounding in the story. It's, and the danger... It's crazy, it's cheap, it's yeah. unearned. Yeah, and the way the the problem, too, with it is that because they're not really investing into the characters and developing the characters and making us actually care about the characters, they're killing off these characters pretty quick. People are... Yeah. You know, they're losing their favorites every, every episode now. Like, so they're going to lose audience and they have, by what I've seen, lost audience. Yeah. I mean, not just by the numbers, but from everything that I've seen online in, in recent weeks, people are just really, really tired of it. They're, they're really tired of, I guess, the laziness in the writing, the fact that these characters are not the characters that we've, we've come to love in the books. And even for the show only watchers, I mean, you know, you listen to Mr. Chicky tonight. It doesn't make sense to them either. This, they, they may not have the book grounding, but they realize that what they're watching isn't, isn't really cohesive. It's not good storytelling. And yeah, I think people are turning off. Well, I mean, the numbers have been back up the last couple of weeks. The, the, the ratings have rebounded a little bit. But I agree with you, just the discussion that you hear has changed. And it's like even just random people who have nothing to do with, with fandom that I've talked to, um, the, the tone has changed. And, and, you know, it's so funny because earlier in the season, we were loving it when a lot of people were complaining about yeah. this season. Um, and we were like, what's wrong with everyone? But, you know, 
there's been a change and I, I think it is just this this overall feeling of just you can't trust the show you, you there's no reason to invest in the characters because something awful will happen and it's not that awful things don't also happen in the books but they're 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 spread out enough and and there's just enough hope to keep you coming back and this is something the show is losing I there agree is with you no hope in this show right it's not just that they're spread out but it's that they're they make sense within the greater story as well. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's, right. yeah, I keep coming back to that. I think it just makes sense. And, you know, and the thing is, it's not voting well for, you know, season six. I mean, I just wonder how they're going to turn this around. And, well, yeah. that's a quandary. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Anyway, I think How many should... victories can Ramsey have? Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, please. Things are dying. Chicky's going to be so happy when Ramsey does. We'll have him on for that episode. <laughs> we'll have you back. I do want to say just briefly, it's not that I don't have any issues with the books whatsoever. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, suggest that I think the books are absolutely perfect and the, the show has absolutely no redeeming qualities because I don't think that is the case. But, I, I mean, I, the problem is as it stands. I think that the adaptation has gone wrong in several places. I think that there's been a lot of lazy writing and I do think that they could do better. And that's all I want. I just want, I don't want to settle for what they're giving us. I want the show to do better. I think that's the thing, right? None of us want to have negative feelings about the show. None of us want to hate watching the show. If any, we want to love it. And I think that's where the frustration is coming from. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. All right, let's let's go on. Um, let's wrap this up. So, um, we're gonna do some thank yous. If we got any messages for the last week, Eon. Um, <clears throat> there was one from Gal and Subterfuge, and it says, um, first I know you guys just barely touched on the casting news, but between Kyburn's mention of his work and what looks like the casting of Elder Marybold, don't you think can Clegane Bowl has been confirmed. Get hype. <laughs> Get hype. Get hype. Uh, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. Second, I'm 95%, I've 95% given up on a JB reunion, but the 5% that hasn't given up oh. would like to point out that yes, NCW is not listed on uh, IMDb. That's <laughs> She got one in. As being in Mother's Mercy. So I'll tell you what but I think of your comment. Neither is Lina, Lena Hetty, and we know that's crap. So basically, IMDB is crap. Reunion, get tables. Reunion, get tables. Five uh, percent. Oh, I hope Gyle's not listening to this one. Gyle. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, oh no, I, I, it does seem like, uh, yeah, I, 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 I kind of do have a feeling that we're gonna see some, uh, some Sander at least next season, you guys? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it feels like it. Hopefully. Yeah. Sorry, okay, th- you- this should be a happy moment, but we're like, meh. Nope. <laughs> 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 I'm like, meh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Next one is from I Heart Dramas, and she says, Hi, ladies. Aww. I wanted to say a thank you for all the times you have invited me onto your podcast as a guest. I have lots of fun fangirling with you all. As of Game of Thrones Season 5, Episode 9, my heart has been completely shattered. The thing I feared the most 
the last time I guessed it came to pass, and we lost a precious baby fawn, princess. Mm -hmm. That was too good, too pure. I took solace in the fact that Jamie ex-Brienne are still alive and kicking. May they survive to at least have sex, maybe babies. (laughs) (laughs) That's all we want! That's all we want! Not asking for a lot. Uh, and that's and rough. Dramas. I feel dramas. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Alright. Our last one, we got an email from a Lois from North Carolina. And it's titled, Close the Door and Nail It Shut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lois. <laughs> she says... Game of Thrones has gone so disgusting, I turned it off before the end tonight. I'm writing to HBO and the podcasters, expressing my opinion, and in my opinion, you are, are the very best of the GOT podcasters. Wow. It is so sad. Thank you. George R. R. Martin may or may not have gone down this road, but the screenwriters are pandering to the lowest places in the human soul. So sorry. It was a good story for a while. All hell special effects and <laughs> to the rest of it. <laughs> Boy, Lois, was this the podcast Ooh, for you? Yeah. Right? Too bad she checked out. I don't know if she's still listening to the po- uh, podcast. I mean, can, we, can, we, can we re-record so. this episode and get Lois on it? Yes, yeah. please. <laughs> Let's just let Lois go off for an hour. She nailed it. That Lois stuff yeah, alone. Oh, yeah. yeah. This place yeah. to the human soul sums it up. Oh, yeah. Wow. That is Love the best it. way to put it. That pretty it. much does. That's it. Okay. It's all over. <clears throat> so, Lois, if you would like to guest, you can send us a message at <laughs> <laughs> close the door and at gmail.com. Um, that's not just open to Lois, that's open to anybody. We're putting out another call, so if anybody wants to guest for upcoming episodes, let us know. Um, guys, or if guys, you, guys, uh, we're gonna do season three yes. after season five is over. So, oh god, if you want a little bit of a refresher, if you would like to guest on a season three, go episode, back to this is your chance. Yeah. Go we back will to be like warm. We'll be but, back to better times, people. Yeah, go yes. back to a warm, fuzzy place where <laughs> there was just hand chopping right. and bear fighting and <laughs> oh, sexual <laughs> tension. <laughs> sexual but tension. Before we up your start theme song. season three. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so anyway, like I said, if you just want to... Yeah, no, wait, wait, Eon, Eon, what were we saying? But before we start season three, we're going to have a um, a season not... A season five detox, though, yeah. right? Oh, drunk... <laughs> <laughs> drunk season five detox. I'm looking forward to that we, one. We need to come down off this season, guys. We need to. We need to cleanse ourselves. With alcohol. With fire. So, oh yeah. <laughs> so, fire. We like the JV fire. Well, alcohol has, you know, it, it kills bacteria, so it's right. all good. Right. Uh, um, I don't even know where to go on from that. <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, drunk cast is coming up. Um, we do like questions for those ones too. So, you can send us a message at close the door and yes, at gmail.com. You can also message us at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. You can follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Please support us on Patreon at close the door. You can find us on patreon.com. Um, we are also, speaking of special apps, working towards an RPG game, um, which is going to be 
I guess our dungeon master for that RPG game will be Wonkins. And he gave us a little test drive this past week. And I know I was thoroughly entertained. <laughs> Chicky, <laughs> Chicky clobbered me. <laughs> and a man may or may not have been eaten. So that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so um yeah look forward to those that'll be a patreon exclusive or for a, a period of time anyway that's it thank you everybody for podcasting uh thanks clotho thank you mr chicky thanks guys thanks for having me <laughs> and thank you panel uh, yeah, thanks Thanks for being here, guys, for this. Cheer, yes. cheer up. Cheer up. It's just a show. Right. Now let's get it's drunk. It's just let's a fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye.